Well, The Emperor's New Clothes is the title of a children's story. The Emperor's New Clothes tells the story of an emperor who was exceedingly fond of new clothes. He took pride in his clothes, and he liked to ride around the city where his palace was, displaying his new clothes for everyone to see. This emperor was a very proud man. So one day, two men came to that city and decided to take advantage, take advantage of the emperor's pride and the emperor's vanity. They told him they could make him a suit of clothes out of the finest material known in the world. In fact, the, the fabric for these clothes that they were going to make the emperor's clothes out of, these, this fabric was so wonderful that it was invisible to everyone except the smartest and most intelligent people on earth. Well, the emperor knew immediately that he had to have these fantastic clothes, so he paid these two men a, a large sum of money to produce these clothes for him. And the problem was that these two men were crooks. They were swindlers. They had no intention of making any clothes. It was an elaborate deception. They simply pretended to make clothes for the emperor. So the emperor would periodically send some of his officials to, to check on the progress of these two men as he was eager to get this new suit of clothes. Well, of course, these officials would go to check on the progress, and they could not see any clothes because there were no clothes to be seen. There was no fabric to be seen. But they did not want to be thought of as stupid. And so they came back and gave the emperor a report of how beautiful and how magnificent these clothes were turning out to be. And finally, the, the day came for the emperor himself to see these new clothes. They were finally ready. Of course, when they were brought to him, he could not see anything either. But like all the others, he was too proud to admit it. So he praised the work of these two men who had made these clothes for him, and he decided that he was going to wear this fine suit of new clothes in a parade throughout his city, clothes that did not actually exist. So the emperor ended up parading himself through the city in only his underwear, all the while convinced that he was wearing a very fine suit of clothes. Of course, news about these clothes that he was going to wear had, and, and these fine clothes that these people were going to produce had spread to the town by this point. So though they could not see anything but the emperor's underwear, they were too proud to admit that they did not see the clothes either. Uh, that is, until a little child finally said what everyone knew was actually true. The emperor is not wearing any clothes. Uh, that opened up the floodgates, and soon the emperor became a figure of ridicule throughout the town. However the emperor continued to refuse to admit that he was actually wearing their clothes. He demanded that the parade continue, and this is how the story concludes. So he walked more proudly than ever, as his nobleman held high the train of his clothes that was not there at all. Well, the emperor's pride ultimately led to the emperor's humiliation, and his humiliation simply grew because he was unwilling to humble himself and admit the truth that he was wearing no clothes. He would not admit the error of his ways, that he had been duped. Well, friends, this, this emperor in this fictional children's story is a picture of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Well, if you've not already done so, go ahead with me and turn in your Bibles to Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 9, verse 13 all the way through Exodus 10, 29. 
We're going to continue our study through the plagues this morning. We've looked at the first six plagues that God has inflicted on Egypt. Plagues in which God has demonstrated his power, his supremacy over all the gods of Egypt, over the powers of Egypt. Where God has shown even his distinctive love for his people in that some of these plagues have not been inflicted on the Israelites. But despite the overwhelming evidence of God's power and that he is the one that is truly sovereign over the affairs of Egypt... Pharaoh has thus far refused to repent. He has refused to listen. He has refused to let the people of Israel go. Uh, That only continues in our text for this week. Like the emperor who was unwilling to admit that he was actually wearing no clothes. Despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, Pharaoh continues to hold on to the illusion that he is ultimately sovereign over the affairs of Egypt. He continues to hold on to the illusion of his own power and refuse to acknowledge God's supremacy. Like the emperor's pride led to his shame, Pharaoh's pride eventually led to his destruction and the destruction of his entire nation. Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Prime example... Pharaoh. I have three points for you to consider from today's sermon. The first is God's power. Second is Pharaoh's pride. And the third is God's patience. God's power, Pharaoh's pride, God's patience. And the main idea is this. God opposes the proud, but he is ready and willing to show mercy to those who humble themselves by repenting of their sins. And submitting to him. God opposes the proud, but he is ready and willing to show mercy to those who humble themselves by repenting of their sins and submitting to him. Uh, So first, we're going to think about God's power. And now we do not have time to read all the verses that we are going to cover this morning. I continue to encourage you to look at the bulletin and read ahead. We publish the next sermon text in advance. That's for you. I know what I'm going to preach next week, but we encourage you to go ahead and read ahead. We don't have time to read all the verses, but I want to briefly recap the plagues that take place in our text for this week. First, God announces a devastating hailstorm that will destroy people, animals, and crops. Huge blocks of ice basically falling out of the sky. That plague is followed by a plague of locusts that cover all of Egypt. And the locusts eat all of the crops that the the hail does not destroy. And these two plagues are then followed by the plague of darkness. Three days of darkness in the land of Egypt. That is so thick that the Bible says it can be felt. And so though we do not have time to read everything, I, I do want to read Exodus 9, 13 through 21. As these verses kind of set something of the foundation for what comes next. So please follow along with me, starting in Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. Tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. For this time I am about to send all my plagues against you, your officials and your people. Then you will know there was no one like me on the whole earth. By now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague and you would have been obliterated from the earth. However, I have let you live for this purpose 
to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. You are still acting arrogantly against my people by not letting them go. Tomorrow at this time I will rain down the worst hail that has ever occurred in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Therefore give orders to bring your livestock and all that you have in the field into shelters. Every person and animal that is in the field and not brought inside will die when the hail falls on them. Those among Pharaoh's officials who feared the word of the Lord made their servants and livestock flee to shelters. But those who didn't take to heart the Lord's word left their servants and livestock in the field. Well, in in these plagues that we're going to examine this morning, we come back to this theme that has been so prevalent throughout Exodus. I think probably something I've mentioned each and every week during our study of Exodus, and that is the fact that God was making himself known. He was making his power and his glory and his might known to Israel, to Egypt, and we see even with the ultimate purpose of making it known among the nations. In these verses, God declared to Pharaoh that he was about to send all my plagues against you. He was going to increase the severity of the plagues. He was going to, in some sense, fully unleash his power. I mean, I don't think he was fully, but you get the idea. The hailstorm, in fact, is the the first time death has come to people in the plagues. Not only that, the the hail destroys many of the crops of Egypt and what was not destroyed because it had not yet come up when the hail fell was destroyed by a plague of locusts. It is a picture of complete devastation to Egypt. God's power was also seen in the extent or the, the power of the plagues that he inflicted here on Egypt. Look at verse, look at chapter 9, verse 18. I will rain down the worst hail that has ever occurred in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Verse 24. The hail was so severe that nothing like it had occurred in the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Chapter 10, verse 6. God said that the plague of locusts would be something your fathers and grandfathers never saw since the time they occupied the land until today. And then chapter 10, verse 14. Never before had there been such a large number of locusts, and there never will be again. I don't know if you all are familiar with this term, at least in the United States, sometimes a particularly powerful storm will be called a 100-year storm. So a really bad flood is a 100-year flood. Perhaps a really bad snowstorm might be called a 100-year blizzard. The idea is that these storms are unusually powerful, so powerful, in fact, that storms of those magnitudes only come around about one every 100 years or so. You're likely to only witness one in your lifetime. Well, the, the plagues that God brought, the, the hail and the, the locusts, were much more than 100-year disasters. No one had ever seen hail or locusts like this in Egypt. And no one ever would again. God was unleashing his power and his might in an extraordinary way. He was making himself known. And over and over again, and the the text also mentions how comprehensive these plagues were. Moses writes that the, the hail struck down everything in the field. Every animal, every person, every plant, every tree. The locusts that follow cover the entire land of Egypt, 
and ate every crop that had been spared from the hail because it had not yet sprouted up. The darkness the Lord sent was so complete that we read in chapter 10, verse 21, that it could be felt. Now, what was God's purpose in unleashing his power and his wrath in such an extraordinary way in Egypt? Like he has many times in Exodus, God gives us the reason why. You look back at chapter 9, verses 14 and 16, God said he was sending all his plagues because then you will know there is no one like me on the whole earth. He said it was so his name would be known throughout or in all the earth. Chapter 9, verses 29 through 30, Moses told Pharaoh that God would remove the hail at his request so that you may know the earth belongs to the Lord. God was making himself known. He was making his name known. He was making his sovereign rule and his power known. And it was not just for the sake of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's officials and the people of Egypt. Notice what God says in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his officials, so that I may do these miraculous signs of mine among them, and so that you may tell your son and grandson how severely I dealt with the Egyptians, and perform miraculous signs among them, and you will know that I am the Lord. God's power was... That God's power that was on display was not just to make his name known among the Egyptians and to Pharaoh, but just as importantly, and, and probably more importantly, to his people, to the nation of Israel. They were to, to remember his power that was on display, his judgment that he brought against the nation of, of Egypt, and they were to live in a holy fear of the Lord. In fact, through, throughout the Bible, we see over and over again that the, the prophets, the psalmists, other writers of the Bible consistently refer back to God's signs and wonders in Egypt as a sign or as a, as a reason for Israel to trust in the Lord. They were supposed to remember these mighty works that God did in Egypt, and it was to build their, their trust and their faith in the Lord. And brothers and sisters, the, the power of God on display in, in these verses as we've considered for the past few weeks that the plagues that God has inflicted on Egypt, well, God's power on display in these verses should be a cause of comfort and confidence for you. Because this God is your God. He is for you. In the, in the, the last plagues that we saw, Plagues 4, 5, and 6 particularly, we saw God making a distinction between Israel and Egypt in the plagues. The plagues only affected the Egyptians. They did not affect the Israelites. Now we see that again this week. The, the hail that God sent on Egypt did not fall in the land of Goshen, where Israel lived. They were spared. It did not grow dark in the land of Goshen. It remained light. Well, it doesn't say one way or another about the locusts. But the, the point is that for God's people, his mighty power was not the source of their destruction. It was the source of their protection. God's power 
was not the source of destruction for his people. It was the source of their protection. It was the means by which he defeated their enemies and ultimately redeemed them from the land of Egypt. Brothers and sisters, as we just just sang a few moments ago, if you're a Christian, God is your rock and your fortress. He is your deliverer. He has defeated the enemies of sin and death through the cross. And he is the God of all power, and that means that no one can snatch you out of his hand. Brothers and sisters, God's power is a, is a, is a source of comfort and, and confidence to the Christian. But friends, if you are here and you know yourself not to be a Christian, I, I pray that these plagues confront you with the reality that God can and will, that God is powerful to judge sin. He has the sovereign right, he has the sovereign authority, and he has the sovereign power to judge sin. And his final judgment, his final judgment of sin will pale in comparison to even what we see here in these verses, in these plagues that he inflicted on Egypt. At the same time, I pray that you see that God inflicted these plagues that his name might be known. These plagues are recorded in the Bible. I am preaching these plagues to you and this word to you so that God's name might be known. Each and every plague was an opportunity for Pharaoh and Egypt to humble themselves, to repent, to obey. And so I pray that if you are here and know yourself not to be a Christian, that in the rest of the sermon you will see that you can know this God of all power, that he can be your rock and your redeemer as well, but You must first humble yourself before God. You must bow low before Him. You must submit to Him. Unfortunately, this was not Pharaoh's response to God. But I pray it will be yours. And so that brings us to the second point of the sermon, and that is Pharaoh's pride. Pharaoh's pride. These verses we are studying this morning, uh, really all of Exodus confronts you with two possible responses to this God who is all-powerful, the God who is the creator of all things, and the God who is in control and over all things. You can, one, humble yourself and submit to this God of all power and authority. Or two, you can choose the path of pride like Pharaoh, which leads to destruction. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. The reason for the continued plagues that God inflicted on Egypt was Pharaoh's pride. Look at chapter 9, verse 17. God says this to Pharaoh, You are still acting arrogantly against my people by not letting them go. Flip over to chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and told him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may worship me. Well, in Pharaoh's pride, he would not acknowledge that God was Lord of the earth, and that includes Lord of Egypt. Like that emperor who had refused to admit that he was wearing no clothes, 
Pharaoh lived under the illusion that he was in control, that he was supreme. He did not listen or obey the word of the Lord. I remember back to Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, and Pharaoh's question when Moses and Aaron first come to him and confront him and ask him to let God's people go. Pharaoh's response, who is God that I should listen to him? Well, that was pride. And that pride simply continued. Not only that, Pharaoh thought he deserved the service and devotion of the people of Israel. Right after asking that question, if you remember, Pharaoh simply increased his control over Israel. He made their labor harder. He would not let them go worship. He said, any free time you have to go worship should be spent serving me and making bricks and cities for me instead. He would not even allow them to go worship the Lord in the wilderness for a few days. He demanded from Israel what belonged to the Lord alone. He demanded their complete devotion. He wanted them to serve him alone. And brothers and sisters, that is Christ. But friends, if, if you're honest with yourself, you will admit that there are times that you are just like Pharaoh. That you are prideful. There are times when you refuse to do what you know to be right. And God's commands to, to Pharaoh were not a mystery here. But brothers and sisters, there are times when you do not listen to the word of the Lord, even when you, like Pharaoh, know exactly what it says. When you know the exact command that the Lord has given, and you know the exact way that you are disobeying it, and yet you persist in your sin. Brothers and sisters, there's pride. There are times that in your pride that you demand the devotion and the praise of others. You get upset when, when others do not praise you or thank you. You go grow bitter when, when others seem to overlook you. Perhaps there are times that you grow jealous of the, the friendships or the relationships of others. Perhaps you frequently look for how people can meet your needs rather than how you can meet their needs. You get upset when people do not serve you in the way that you would like to be served. Friends, how often do you genuinely ask others how they are doing or take time to listen to their struggles? Do your own struggles, do your own sorrows always seem greater than those of others? Brothers and sisters, what do those things show? They show your pride. In your pride, you want the, the praise and devotion of others that you have no right to demand. And friends, if, if you are honest, you will admit that there are times that you give your devotion to things other than God as well. Your work, your family, your social life, fill out anything else between. It might not always show itself, but when forced to choose between the, the things of the Lord... Or the things of earth, which do you choose? Where do you devote your, your time and your energy? Where are you showing your devotion? But brothers and sisters, where Pharaoh's pride was most on display was in his false humility and in his false repentance. Look at Exodus chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. In the midst of the hailstorm, Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron... And he says this, I have sinned this time, he said to them. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the guilty ones. 
Well, other than the this time part, that sounds pretty good. It's Pharaoh's first admission of sin and guilt and all the plagues and all the times that Moses and Aaron have come and talked to Pharaoh. At first glance, it seems like a pretty humble response. But you just have to scroll down to verses 34 and 35. And you find that as soon as the hail went away, as soon as he experienced relief, that Pharaoh simply hardened his heart yet again. The same thing happened when the locusts came. Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and told them that he had sinned. He even asked for forgiveness and asked for them to appeal to the Lord that the locust be taken away. However, when the Lord takes the locust away, we read in chapter 10, verse 20, that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people go. Again, here in in Exodus, as we've seen a few times already, we find that somewhat mysterious interaction between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. It's true that God both hardened Pharaoh's heart and that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. The Bible teaches that God's, God's sovereignty and his power is so great that it extends even to the human heart. It is God's choice to whom he will show mercy. And yet, the Bible equally teaches that all people are fully responsible for their own sin. Pharaoh's pride and his resistance to the Lord was his own willing choice for which he was responsible. And brothers and sisters, the same thing is true of your own pride. Now how God's full sovereignty and and how man's full responsibility are compatible with one another can be difficult to understand. It can be difficult to understand. I do not know if you remember my illustration from a few weeks ago. I do not know if that illustration was extraordinarily helpful. But I said that my, my kids cheer for the same sports teams that I cheer for. I did not force them to to cheer for these same sports teams that I cheer for. It was their own willing choice to to cheer for the same teams that I cheer for. And yet you understand that in some ways I was over their willing choice to cheer for those sports teams. I did not force them. And yet you understand that uh, there was some level of influence that I was exhorting or I was exerting. Well, in, in, in some way that is in some ways probably like that, and in some ways not like that. God is fully sovereign, and and man is fully responsible. But to get back to Pharaoh's pride and his false repentance, what I want you to see is that Pharaoh's repentance only lasted as long as the consequences of his sin. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's repentance only lasted as long as the consequences that he was experiencing for his sin. Once the plagues were removed... He hardened his heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes this. He writes that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. Well, one author defined godly grief this way, as being sorrowful as God intended, is feeling the deep grief that comes from knowing that our attitudes and actions have harmed our relationship with God. In other words, godly grief first and foremost sees our sin as against a holy God, the God of all power and glory to whom we are accountable. 
It is sorrowful because we know that our sin grieves God. Uh, That though it does not cast us out from God's hand, it somehow harms our relationship with God. Worldly sorrow, on the other hand, is only interested in maintaining one's power, one's pride, one's position, one's possessions. In other words, it is a a self-serving sorrow. Worldly sorrow is a self-serving sorrow. This is the type of sorrow that Pharaoh had. He was only sorrowful that his crops were being destroyed, that his wealth was being stripped away, that his control over Egypt was being threatened. As soon as those things that he idolized were no longer at risk, his sorrow ceased. As soon as those things he idolized were no longer at risk, his sorrow ceased. He never actually changed. He never actually repented. His sorrow was only self-serving. Brothers and sisters, again, I ask the question, what about you? What kind of sorrow do you express over your own sin? Friends, are you much more ready to repent and apologize to others when consequences come with your sin? Do you only apologize to others to try to get rid of the consequences of your sin? And maybe because someone is angry with you and you want to restore that relationship or Maybe someone is threatening to remove something or not give you something that you want, and you do not want that to happen. So at those times, you are ready and willing to ask for forgiveness. Friends, in in private, do you ever actually confess your sins to the Lord? You admit to the Lord that you have sinned against Him. Friends, if you typically apologize only when consequences come, or when you think it might gain you something, if you rarely confess your sins in private to the Lord, I would suggest that sounds much more like worldly sorrow than godly sorrow. I don't know if any of you have ever had this experience where you have approached someone and apologized for something, only to have that person tell you, what are you talking about? I don't don't remember this incident. Oh, that was nothing, I, I wasn't offended. Brothers and sisters, that's probably a good example that you are exhibiting godly sorrow. That the Holy Spirit convicted you of a sin, and you went and confessed, though this other brother or sister, this other individual, was not even offended. It's not a 100% certainty that you were displaying godly sorrow, but I would say that's a good indication of godly sorrow at work. It was your own conviction before the Lord that leads you to repent to the Lord and confess to other people. Brothers and sisters, Pharaoh had a worldly sorrow. And the clear evidence of that is that he did not change. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that godly grief leads to repentance. Repentance is to reverse one's behavior. It is to to change. It is not simply to say, I'm sorry. It is not simply to, to feel bad. True repentance is to change. It is action not mere feeling. I think feeling accompanies true repentance, but true repentance does not stop at our feelings. It translates into our actions. For Pharaoh, it would have meant submitting to God, listening to the word of the Lord, and actually letting the people of Israel go. But Pharaoh would not do this. He only wanted repentance on his own terms. Look at chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. 
when Moses and Aaron first announced to Pharaoh that God will bring locusts, so before the locusts come, but when Moses and Aaron go and announce that the locusts are coming, Pharaoh tells them that they can go worship the Lord as they have been asking. But he asks, exactly who will be going? When Moses and Aaron say everyone will be going, Pharaoh answered, the Lord would have to be with you if I would ever let you and your families go. Perhaps truer words were never spoken. If the Lord was with them, their families would go. But Pharaoh did not speak those words in humility, but in great pride. Again, when the plague of darkness came, we read in chapter 10, verse 24, Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your families may go with you. It didn't take too long for him to reverse what he had just said a a few verses before. Now their families may go. Only your flocks and herds must stay behind. When Moses said that that was not acceptable either and the flocks must go too, Pharaoh was again unwilling to let the people go. My brothers and sisters, Pharaoh was only interested in repentance on his own terms. He was only interested in submitting to the Lord and obeying to the Lord and listening to the word of the Lord on his own terms. Brothers and sisters, that is, is no true repentance. That is no true submission. And that is no true obedience at all. God demands your full devotion. God demands your full devotion because he alone is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. There is no such thing as submitting to God and repenting on your own terms. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot simultaneously follow the Lord and say you are devoted to the Lord and hold on to the idols of your heart. You cannot simultaneously follow the Lord and hold on to the sin of your heart. The Lord demands your complete allegiance. To seek to submit to God or repent on your own terms is an exercise in prideful delusion. It's an exercise in prideful delusion. Well, despite Pharaoh's pride and despite the severe plagues that God brings because of his pride, these verses also reveal God's patience and mercy at work. And so that brings us to the last point of the sermon, which is God's patience. So even as we see the severity of God's wrath in these verses, the severity of God's wrath against Egypt and against Pharaoh, we also see the riches of his kindness. Just look back at at chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. God told Pharaoh plainly, By now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague, and you would have been obliterated from the earth. However, I have let you live for this purpose, to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. Friends, God could have obliterated Pharaoh from the face of the earth. He could have wiped him away in a moment. This is what Pharaoh deserved. It's what the people of Egypt deserved. It's what the people of Israel deserved as well. Friends, just to be clear, it's what you and I deserve, too. The pride of Pharaoh, the pride of Egypt, the pride of Israel, the pride of you, the pride of me, is all deserving of death. We deserve to be obliterated. And yet that is not what God did to Pharaoh in Egypt, at least not immediately. You get the impression from God's statement in those verses that he's been holding back. Uh, And that's true, he has been holding back. Each new plague was a a slightly more powerful warning to Pharaoh and to Egypt to turn and repent. In the riches of his kindness, God gave Pharaoh numerous opportunities to repent. 
Remember, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh two times before any plague ever came, telling him to let the people go. Twice they had an opportunity to let God's people go with no plagues coming. And God even warned Pharaoh in Egypt before inflicting many of the plagues. Before sending the hail, God instructed Moses to tell Pharaoh to give orders to bring your livestock and all that you have in the field into shelters. Every person and animal that is in the field and not brought inside will die when the hail falls on them. The only ones who died were those who did not listen to the word of the Lord. There were some who listened, and those were spared. Furthermore, when Pharaoh would express some sort of repentance in these verses, even this worldly sorrow, this half-hearted repentance that was not heartfelt from Pharaoh, well, what did God do? He would remove the plague. He responded even to this half-hearted repentance that Pharaoh was offering. He did this over and over again in Exodus in response to Pharaoh's pleas. God showed himself over and over again to be ready and willing to show mercy if only Pharaoh would humble himself. Well, in the American legal system, do not trust that you're overly familiar with the American legal system, that we do produce a lot of movies. Just before a guilty criminal is given a sentence, the judge will often give that person who has just been convicted guilty of some crime a, a chance to speak and plead for mercy. So before they get the punishment for their crime, they're given a chance to speak and plead for mercy. Well, if the prisoner expresses true remorse for their crimes, a judge may be led to give a more lenient sentence, to give something on the lesser end that the law requires. Now, however, there are times that these convicted criminals, someone convicted of a crime, will show no remorse at all. They will not apologize to their victims. They will take the path of pride. They will not show any remorse for their crimes or their actions at all. In those cases, even if the judge was ready to show mercy when they all walked into the courtroom for the sentencing, the judge is very unlikely to show any mercy in those cases. He's going to give them the maximum sentence that the law allows. Well, friends, Pharaoh is the guilty criminal who shows no sorrow, and so he ultimately does not find mercy. Friends, if you are here and and not a Christian, I want you to know that God is ready and willing to show you mercy if you will humble yourself. You need to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ to know that this is true. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty of sin for all who would humble themselves, repent of their sins, and place their faith in Jesus. To place their faith in Jesus is to say that they cannot save themselves They are deserving of God's wrath. And and yet, that God has made a way for them to escape his wrath through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is fully God, a member of the triune God from all eternity, humbled himself by coming to earth and taking on human flesh. He lived a perfect life, a perfect life on earth as a man, a life that you could not live. Jesus, unlike you, unlike Pharaoh, unlike Egypt, unlike Israel, fully submitted to the will of his Father. On the cross, he endured the full weight of God's wrath against sin in place of all guilty sinners who would humble themselves and repent of their sins, who would have a a godly sorrow over their sins. And friends, you can be assured that this is true because three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead, and even now he is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. 
Friends, Jesus' death on the cross was an act of mercy for guilty sinners who would humble themselves, turn from their sin, and place their faith in him. Friends, God is ready and willing to show mercy. Recall James 4 that Amunah just read for us. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is ready and willing to show grace. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Brothers and sisters, friends, that is a promise that God will show mercy to those who humble themselves, repent of their sins, and declare that Jesus is Lord, that he is master, that he is ruler, that he is deserving of full devotion. In our verses for today, Pharaoh, Pharaoh seems to get the last word. In these verses, if you read to the end of chapter 10, Pharaoh seems to get the last word. Look back at chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was unwilling to let them go. Pharaoh said to him, Leave me. Make sure you never see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you will die. But friends, be assured that Pharaoh does not get the last word. As we will see next week, Moses announces one more plague before he leaves Pharaoh's presence. He announces the death of the firstborn in Egypt. God has the power of life and death, not Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells Moses that he will die, but it's God who holds the power of life and death in his hands. Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. So it is for all who refuse to humble themselves, repent of their sins, and place their faith in Jesus Christ. As I close, I want you to to remember those words from Psalm chapter 2 that Philbert read for us at the beginning of the service. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire against the Lord and his anointed one. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. God has installed his king, and that king is Jesus Christ. And God tells this king, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. Friends, Jesus will one day return in judgment. And all those who have not submitted to him, whether kings or rulers, pharaohs or sheikhs, or people like you and me will be judged and they will perish in their rebellion. The proud will one day be humbled forever. But the only answer is that the psalmist writes at the end of Psalm chapter 2 is to serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. All who take refuge in him, in other words, all who humble themselves and, and find his mercy, are blessed. Let's pray.